0: This week on the CMB podcast, I share with you my conversation with author and blogger Tim Challies. We talked about a handful of things, but primarily discussed the effects of technology and the digital explosion in the life of the believer, specifically Christian musicians. It was both an encouraging and a challenging conversation that I'm sure will get you thinking. That's today on the CMB podcast, session 34.
1: Welcome to the CMB podcast a podcast designed to serve people of faith who make music. If you're looking for practical and inspirational ideas to help you in your musical craft, then look no further. ChristianMusicBlog.com is all about helping you think differently about creativity through eyes of faith as you learn how to establish healthy musical habits and disciplines, fueling your creativity and making you more prolific for the glory of God. And now your host... Nate Fancher.
0: What is up, everyone, and welcome to session 34 of the Christian Music Blog Podcast. Uh, this is a podcast serving artists and songwriters in their journey of music through the eyes of faith, making music, thinking about music. Um, here on the CMB podcast, we cover a variety of subjects that matter to you if you're a Christian musician. If you're looking to grow in your craft as a musician and um, also in the way that you view music, your worldview of music, and your worldview of making music in a way that honors God, then I invite you to not only join us, but dive in with us as we learn about what Jesus has to say about music and music making. Sometimes we're a little more lofty and philosophical on the podcast. Other times we get insanely practical. Sometimes we laugh, sometimes we cry. Um, not really, I haven't cried yet, but but I'm, I'm, I'm envisioning, I'm hoping for that day that I'll, that I'll cry and shed some tears on the podcast. That would be awesome. Um, Anyway, but when it comes to being a faithful believer who is seeking to serve and follow Jesus with your music, it's my hope that this podcast and blog simply serves you on that journey. Um, It's the journey that I'm on as a musician, as a Christian. Um, It's quite the adventure. There's a lot of ups and downs, um, and I I don't want to do this by myself. So if you'll join me, I'd be honored. In fact, if this is your first time listening to the podcast, I invite you to head over to christianmusicblog.com slash gift to get your gift for checking out the podcast. It's me simply saying thanks for checking out CMB today. So go check it out, christianmusicblog.com slash gift. We want to get right into our feature segment today with Tim Challies. Tim serves as an associate pastor of Grace Fellowship Church in Toronto, Ontario. He's the author of several books, including The Discipline of Spiritual Discernment, which was published by Crossway in 2008, and his most recent book published by Zondervan um, called The Next Story, Life and Faith After the Digital Explosion. Tim is probably most known for his popular blog, Challies.com. He blogs daily, posts book reviews. He's a leading voice in the broader evangelical world today. He's a bastion of Reformed theology, loves God, his family, his local church, and it's a joy and privilege to have him on the podcast today. So Tim, thank you and welcome to the CMB Podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me here. So we want to start with just talking about how, how Jesus got a hold of you. What was your story of faith? Everyone has an awesome one and I always love hearing everybody's different testimony.
1: Yeah. Well, I had the privilege of being raised in a Christian home. My parents had gotten saved as college students. Uh, My dad got saved first, met my mom, and shared the gospel with her, and they both got saved. And they were saved into, uh, I guess, into Pentecostalism, and probably not uh, a very strong tradition at that um, on their honeymoon or shortly after they ended up in Switzerland and stumbled into LeBreuil with Francis Schaeffer and that really began to shape their minds uh, so they came to understand that Christianity can really have a firm intellectual biblical basis and so I was raised then firmly in that Francis Schaeffer kind of tradition uh, either in the Presbyterian churches or in the Dutch Reformed tradition raised around the gospel my parents preached the gospel to us regularly and always encouraged us not to just believe we were saved because we were born into a Christian home, but really um, wanted us to ensure that we had had that personal relationship, personal salvation through Jesus Christ. And so uh, if you talk to my parents, they would say I was probably saved when I was nine or 10 years old. I tend to think it was around when I was 14, 15, where I kind of, I always describe it as I made the faith of my parents my own. So just as a kid, I had that that crisis of, hold on, do I really believe this or am I just following behind mom and dad? Is this something I've really taken a hold of? And I know at least it was around that time when I was probably 14 or 15 that I said, no, I really believe this and I'm going after this. And so that's how I, that's where I say the Lord has saved me. That's awesome.
0: Yeah, a very similar story myself. It was, I remember praying with my dad at a very young age, around Mm -hmm. seven or eight, but then it was 13 or 14 that I really began to really own my, the faith of my parents, very well said.
1: Yeah, and it, it's it's interesting to look at my own children now and see them having those experiences when they're younger. And like my parents, I think I think they're saved now, or at least my son, he, he made a profession at 10 or 11. I have no reason to doubt he's been saved, but it wouldn't surprise me if in a few years he has another one of those where maybe he's getting saved, maybe that's where something is really clicking. I'm not sure how that all works, but I trust the Lord is working through all of these experiences.
0: Yeah, that's right. So now at what point did you really begin to love writing?
1: Well, I always enjoyed writing even as a kid. I just didn't have much opportunity to do it and I'm one of those pers- one of those people who really needs a goal. I need an objective and then I can work toward that objective. So Uh, once I found blogging, that gave me an objective, just a goal. I'm going to write every day. And that's where I really started to develop as a writer and really found kind of hit my stride in terms of developing routines and doing doing the writing uh, day by day. So uh, really, I think it was about 10 years ago that I really started to enjoy writing to the point that I wanted to dedicate time to it every day.
0: That's awesome. Yeah, I'd love to actually talk a little bit more about the daily stuff. But Mm -hmm. um, one thought I did have as you were sharing the blogging thing. Um, you, before you started blogging, you were a web designer. You were doing some different things just freelance-wise for for websites. Is that right?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So my, I got training in computer hardware. So for a time, I was a network engineer setting up computer networks and then decided I wanted to work from home. So kind of just taught myself how to do web design and got into that world. And I was doing largely websites for churches. And so that's what was putting bread on the table as I was developing as a writer or just writing day by day.
0: That's awesome. Now, I mean, you're a pastor now, so did you end up doing seminary and and, and developing that way, or what led you to pastoral ministry?
1: Sure. I was, uh, I guess it was about eight years ago now, I first heard of Grace Fellowship Church. At the time, I was in a church that was uh, very, I guess you could say, sort of mainstream, evangelical, and was really starting to... um, just find certain things in the church that were very, very difficult to to tolerate. Some were theological. Some were singing the song "Lean on Me" as part of a worship set, <laughs> complete with actions, things like that. Wow! So uh, we were part of that church. We had been essentially founding members in that church, uh, but my, my convictions, my Reformed convictions, especially, had started to develop. And um, so, about eight years ago we found Grace Fellowship Church and I realized okay you can be Baptist and Reformed that was that was kind of a new thing to me mm. and so we joined that church after several years I was asked to be an elder in that church um and then just a few years ago now we planted a church and then that sent our associate pastor off to head up that church plant now suddenly we had uh too much pastoring and not enough pastors to do it and so the elders agreed that I would now come on staff as a pastor so conspicuously lacking from any of that is seminary education so no I never did receive a seminary education
0: well that makes two of us so yeah <laughs> that's that's great man so um so so back to writing and, and and you're very you're very busy as a blogger um I know one of the things that that people you know as as musicians and songwriters artists that those are the folks who listen to this podcast they they often wonder how how do how do we get um, more disciplined, um, day by day. Um, can you share any, any practical things that, that you learned as you, as you started to, I mean, I remember really clearly back, you know, I was following you back then, I think, and you, you, you basically committed to writing a blog post daily mm-hmm. and you just kind of said, I'm going to do it. And if it's bad, it's going to go out anyway. <laughs> and, um, I mean, you, you right. I mean, that was kind of your, your attitude towards it, yeah. which was a really, I think, refreshing way to look at it. I think there's a, there's another blogger guy out there, um, Jeff Goins are you familiar with him uh yeah yeah he talks about practicing in public I think or something like that but mm-hmm. and um but you were really really doing it every day and so you know as a songwriter I'm thinking man I, I would love to write a song every day I may not write a great song every day but I ought to get into the discipline of writing every day so what are some practical things um that you've learned along doing in the, how many years now
1: uh, it's coming up on 10 years of daily writing. I think a little bit later this wow. month, they will hit the 10-year the mark. Wow.
0: So, every day uh, for 10 years, what have you learned over those, over those years, and what has worked, what hasn't worked? Maybe yeah, some well,
1: stuff. I've learned that I've got exactly enough time today to do the things the Lord would have me do, and I've really tried to narrow down those things in my life to the writing, to the local church, and to my family. So, I don't have hobbies at this time, the writing kind of is my hobby. Uh, I don't have another job, the church is my vocation, and then I've got my family, so I've really kept life simple. Uh, I don't feel busy, I, ha- I there's things I would like to do but can't do, but I, I really feel like pacing myself with just those three main areas in life, then I've got time to do what I need to do. Uh, and so it's just balancing those things ensuring trying to ensure that that blogging life doesn't infringe on family time and family time doesn't push me away from my responsibilities at church and vice versa so balancing those things writing every day doing anything every day is going to eventually help you grow in it right so uh, my commitment was I will write every day and I know that in some ways I'll be throwing out the occasional dud but Uh, What I've learned as well is that some of those things I'm convinced are a dud. They really, I I set out to write something. It doesn't really work. I post it anyways. Sometimes those are the things that really appeal to people. So I have, even after 10 years of doing this every day, I have very little ability to know what will really grab people and what won't. Sometimes I write something and I think that was so important to me. I think it will resonate with other people and just, Nothing. It just flatlines. Mm-hmm. Other things I write and think, well, I don't really, I don't think there's anything in there, but I'll post it anyways. And you next next thing you know, there's all sorts of people saying, oh, it was really important to me. So uh, I, I think there's there's value in just doing it every day. Now I, I'm I'm attentive to. There's a lot of noise out there, and I don't really want to add to the noise. But then on the other hand, I think we're all growing in our ability to filter all the content coming to us. So. I hope if people can give my my work a skim and say no, not today, and that's okay as well.
0: Yeah, and and I hope. By the way, I hope you didn't feel like I was saying that you were writing a lot of bad stuff in the early days. I, I certainly wasn't. <laughs> not saying at all. That. Okay. Um, I just know as a, as a songwriter, when I look at my own writing, um, it's 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 good to kind of lower the expectations and, and and be freed from any kind of you know pressure of of having to deliver this perfect thing every day you know that's as a that's how i personally view the songwriting thing but um you you definitely do grow as you said you do it every day you're going to grow now um in terms of you know you're you're balancing being um, a local church pastor that's your your vocation and um, you're also an author so there has there has been some agreement between you guys and, and how that all works out how does that work for you guys
1: yeah, so we don't really draw a firm line between once you're in the office, you may not have anything to do with your your outside world. When you're outside, you can have nothing to do with the church world. So we kind of leave those things intentionally vague and just leave it up to me. Essentially, I've got other elders who will tell me if they think I'm infringing upon that time, and I trust them to to speak to me about that. So my my commitment is to try and give my give give each one of those their due and i know at times i succeed at times not so well so where it really gets difficult is when i'm into a book writing sort of mode and uh, that happened only once so far in the in the history of the uh, of my vocation or my my work at grace fellowship church so as i start gearing up for my next book then i think that will be the the tension um, I, I don't really know how to deal with those, except that I, I believe that as a as a man who's been called to the ministry, I've been called on the basis of character, not simply what I'm able to do, but of character. So, I'm hoping that that character, uh, combined with the character of the other elders, will just make sure that we're doing that well.
0: Yeah, fantastic. Yeah, and it's certainly not like you're clocking in and clocking out of, of your job as a pastor. It's it is more than just forty hours a week. To quote John Piper, right, brothers, we are not yeah. professionals. Yeah.
1: yeah, absolutely. And once you start thinking of your ministry job, your your pastoral job, as simply nine to five, you'll, you'll you won't be successful at it because it will always infringe on your time. There'll always be that you you can always count on getting calls on the weekend, calls on your day off, and you can't you simply can't always ignore those or, or leave them a day.
0: Yeah. Now, um your 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 most recent book, The Next Story, which mm-hmm. is um a fantastic book, Life and Faith After the Digital Explosion. That's the, the subtitle. Can you just speak to how that started, where this was birthed for you? And I'm sure you're living in it because obviously you're blogging every day, you're you're in um the new media world very, very much. So I'm sure these things were, were resonating before you Obviously, before you wrote the book, or otherwise you wouldn't have written it. That was silly. Right.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, I was really what happened is I was looking for that book, I wanted somebody to speak to this new world. Um, I, I was realizing this world had changed a whole lot from the world I grew up in. We had transitioned. Most people draw the line around 1980, right, where we began to transition from a print world to a digital world. And then it began to accelerate over time so that by, you know, into the 90s and we're getting into an internet world. And, and, and so over that time, just society changed in a big way. And I was finding that uh, I had a lot of questions. I wanted to know how to live well in and through this world and there just wasn't a lot written on that. Meanwhile, I really had an interest in Christian living, I had an interest in some skill, some knowledge of technology, and so I just kind of drew those two things together and thought, well, what would it mean to live virtuously in this kind of a world? And the book grew out of there, and I think it was I think it was helpful in in one of the first books into the into that topic. I think more will come certainly over time and hopefully be able to advance the ideas. A little bit, but I wanted to at least put that out there and help people understand how the world has changed, and at least give some tips to how can we do this thing well.
0: Yeah, it's. Um, I mean, I think you're right. There aren't there aren't many books at all that I I'm trying to think right now. Are there any others that I am even aware of? And there aren't very many at all. Um, what has been the response? I mean, it's been it's it was published a, what a year or two ago now or
1: uh, a couple of years. Yeah.
0: Okay. So what what was the response from from some of those folks that? That um well, those around you close to you, and then also the the, the mm-hmm. folks that that have read the book more broadly,
1: yeah, the response has been very encouraging. I've received very little critique of the book uh, the The difficulty has been in convincing people that they need to read it, so yeah, the book sold, but it didn't sell as well as I would have liked because most people thought, well, I'm not really that big of a techie i don't need to read it, but really, you know my mom could read the book and benefit from it. Uh, grandparents could read the book and benefit from it. It's a book for everyone because we're all in this world together. So, it's just funny that it's difficult to convince people, even though they're surrounded by technology, they've got a a phone in their pocket that can do infinitely more than a desktop computer 20 years ago, and they still feel like, oh, I'm not very technical, so I don't really need help in this area. No, we all need a lot of help, a lot of biblical guidance, in this area. So really, the, if, if there's anything I want people to take away from the book, it's, it's understand there's a Christian way to look at technology. God is the one who gave us the ability and the desire to create, to invent new technologies. And then if we can just think about, okay, now what happens when sin infringes on that? Now we're thinking like Christians in a technological world.
0: Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, and even if those folks who may not be as techie um, i think I think you say it in, in chapters one or two, um, the whole idea that technology has an ecological effect, I think is what you said yeah um that it that it impacts the world whether you whether you are involved with technology or not, it impacts your world and um, I think that's right. very, very true. Um, can yeah, you speak you to that a little about, bit more
1: yeah sure, you even think about the fact that people would say, "Well, I'm an open book before you." that shows the technology of the time, the book, we are now reading that technology back onto ourselves. right? So we use that technology, then we interpret ourselves through that technology. Our children will not say, I am an open book. That, that will be lost. They'll, they'll have some new way of looking at themselves. So we see ourselves as books. They'll see themselves as computers or as iPods or something. So, our technologies so infiltrate society that they begin to change our self-perception. We begin to understand ourselves through them. And so, again, there's one more reason. We, as Christians especially, need to be understanding these things. How is my view of who God is shaped by the devices I used? Why do we call the Bible a book? I mean, in a sense, it's a book, but it won't be. Our kids won't understand the Bible as a book. They'll understand it as an app. So, you know, we read our technologies into ourselves.
0: Yeah. Now, in chapter nine, very interesting chapter on the whole issue of privacy and how public we, we ought to be, being visible, all of that. Can you speak to some of that, especially in light of the fact that there are so many other blogs out there that where people, I mean, they kind of put anything and everything on their blog, um, what, where was that coming from uh, in your heart when you wrote that chapter?
1: Well, I, I think w- when it came to privacy, when it comes to issues like that, um, man, it's it's a strange new world how we we tell the world so much about ourselves. And somehow haven't clicked in yet that what we say is now permanent, that these things never go away. <laughs> so we, we open up our lives and then those things stay there. People can always find those facts about us again. And I was thinking about my children. You know, children growing up, from from the moment we're pregnant with our children now, we tell the whole world about them. Those go out on Facebook. Those go out, and those just stay there. Nobody ever really erases anything. Mm-hmm. So, what does it mean to us that there really is very little privacy anymore? What does it mean? And I wrote the book before the NSA revelations, too, where we realized a lot more is being recorded than we could have ever even imagined, and I'm sure there's lots more similar revelations to come. So... So, what happens when God forgives, but Google never forgets? How do we hold those two things together? What does it mean where I can now go on Facebook and see every boyfriend my wife ever had? Those things never go away. How does that change us? How does that change past, future, present? Hmm.
0: Yeah, very good. Um, as far as, as as musicians are concerned, I mean, we are surrounded as musicians with tons of – Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, you mentioned the cell phone. I mean, if we could just stop there and your book would be well worth the read just because of of this device right here, right? Um, and I'm thinking of so many other technological things. I, I'm a musician. I I use software to record my music. I mean, there's so much gear involved with all of that, and they're all tools that are so um, necessary, and, and I'm thankful to God for them. But um, what might be some ways you'd encourage musicians in this particular area of technology?
1: Well, I think to take a hold of it, for one, um, Christians tend to be a little slow to embrace, take a hold of technology so other people get the jump on it and we come following along. So, uh, I think what often happens is, is people outside the church, unbelievers, they define our use of the technology And then we come along and unthinkingly embrace it. So I think it's worth thinking as Christians, let's look at that technology afresh and maybe we can be the ones who define how we use it and what it means to use it. I'm not so up to date on what musicians are using, what the tools are, other than autotune, which we all equally despise. But... (laughs) You know, all of these, any technology can be used for good, it can be used for evil, it can be used to bring glory to God, it can be used to uh, take away glory from God. And one of the things I see with musicians is massive use of social media and what appears for all the world like massive Mm self-promotion through media. Even think of the moral consequences of retweeting praise of yourself. Somebody says something nice about yourself or your album, and you then retweet that to your followers. That's that's not an amoral move. There's something bound up in there. There's something going on on the heart level that makes you do that. That's true of authors. That's true of musicians. It's true of anyone. Mm. But just to think about those things, what does it mean? How does it? What is? How, what does it point to in my heart that I would do that?
0: Wow. Yeah, that's a very good question. Um, uh, we had Bob on the podcast recently, and. We were talking about that whole issue because I mean that is that is a really big issue, especially for anyone that's anyone that has a platform or ministry that whether it's their vocation. I mean, there's the whole thing of marketing and promoting. I mean, you you deal with this as an author, um, but that whole proverb, you know, let let another man's lips praise you and not not your own. Um, really, yeah, it, that's God's word.
1: Yeah, exactly. So. Um, to, to praise yourself. You would never say those things about yourself, I, I trust, I hope, and yet when other people say it, you feel justified in, in throwing it out there and tell, letting other people praise you even in, in your world. It's a very, very odd thing.
0: Interesting, yeah. Now, um, I'd love to just maybe transition a little bit more into the musical stuff. I, I know that um, as, a, as a you are a commentator on popular culture as well you know just what's happening and just the whole need for discernment in the in the church today when you look at what's happening um currently with music so we, we were talking earlier outside of the recording about um some of the encouragement th- some of the encouraging things of, of holy hip-hop and curtis allen's new book coming out mm-hmm. does god listen to rap that'll be out soon um what are some things that really encourage you in in the musical world what would be some things that discourage you
1: I'm encouraged by the Christian rap scene. I think that's quite an incredible movement. Now, I have some, I don't know that I can speak to them clearly or cogently, but I have some concerns with that world. Uh, but I listen to the music, I enjoy the music, and it's its encouraged and uplifted me in many ways. Um, I love that there's more and more musicians banding together out there or forming relationships and working together to write music that's truly gospel centered it it's really it's not just moralistic it's not just repeating the same things all those critiques we had of kind of the the early Christian contemporary music I, i'm seeing people bring real musical skill and trying to be uh, trying to be inventors rather than just taking the, you know again that classical critique of Christian music just take whatever other people are doing and copy it I'm seeing some real innovation. Even Dustin Kendry's album, new, al- uh, new album that came out just uh, last week, I think it's a brilliant album and musically as good as just about anything out there. So, really encouraged by things like that. Where I'm, I might like to see some growth is in congregational singing. I think uh, I love what the Gettys are doing in trying to write music that's written specifically for congregational singing. And I think a lot of what's happening now is we're bringing songs into our churches that really aren't very good to sing congregationally. And so we have people kind of following along, but the music is dominating and the voices are long lost. We can always crank the music up to make it sound like a good loud song. But if the voices are lagging, if people aren't able to sing along, I think we're really losing out on something. So being able to, to create songs like the classic hymns that are so easy to sing and I've been think, thinking a lot lately, what makes a song singable? Maybe that's a hmm. something uh, you've thought about or others, but really what makes a song singable versus one where you really need the musicians to carry it?
0: Hmm. Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. Mike Cosper had a interesting blog post, I think it was in August, on the Gospel Coalition where he was talking about, he's, he's received some criticism, I think, from some folks about um, just is the music at Sojourn very congregational? And he would say, well, it is a sojourn because everybody there yeah. is singing it. And um, I understand that whole thing. But, you know, something I've been thinking a lot about, and I would love to hear you hear your thoughts on this. Um, you know, you, we were talking about rap music. Rap music, I, I don't think we'll ever do any rap songs in our congregational worship time on a Sunday morning anytime soon. Right. But I love I love that genre. So I think it's very healthy to make very clear distinctions like that. Um, and so like a book like Stephen Miller wrote, uh, Worship Leaders, We Are Not Rock Stars. The It's a great book, very helpful. Um, we need more books like that. But I think part of the problem is that um, the lines are too blurred. So it's, you know, uh, in terms of Sunday morning congregational worship. So would you say that, um, like let's let's say psalm singing, for example, that I know some very Reformed churches would do just psalms, right? Um, you know I can see the argument being made that you know that's a great that's a great thing because we're not going to ever be tempted to have any sort of rock and roll comparisons so mm-hmm. let's just leave that there and then let's go out and let's go form the best rock bands we can form and let's go play in, in places where we can proclaim the gospel and it really reaches those folks and it's contextualized much like the hip-hop right yeah what would you say to that
1: well, a couple of weeks ago, I was in Scotland, and there's the, the bastion of psalms-only a cappella churches, right? Yeah. And we went to a midweek service out on the, the Scottish coast, neat little church there, about maybe 25 people. And they raised the roof with one of their psalms. Now, they have quite a condensed Psalter, of course, right? They have a very limited number of songs they sing and they really know those songs and they're created to be congregational. So right. it was just interesting to compare that to uh, well, maybe some of the sojourn music, which we do in our church, but there's just there's a big difference between those songs that people can blast out and the other songs that people really have really struggle with. And I, I think there's got to be a difference between them that we maybe aren't embracing quite enough. So I'm not opposed to singing those other songs, right. but I do think you've got to know your church, you've got to know the people in your church and whether they can do it, whether that's their music. And I'd be interested. I've never been to Sojourn to see uh, how their, their singing is. But well, I do know that you can, raise, you can elevate the volume of the instruments. And I think the, the, the instrument that most glorifies God and the one that's most beautiful is the human voice. That's the one that we want to hear above all the others, I trust.
0: And it's interesting, actually, now I'm just now thinking of this. Um, when m- Most of the time when people use the word congregational, they might think, is it easy to sing in terms of musically speaking? In other mm-hmm. words, can I sing back this line or this melody, this lyric? Sure. And um, that might be a too much of a narrow definition of congregational, right? I mean, congregational is more about just the church coming together and, and singing together and praising God together. So, there's got to be more than just, is it singable or not? Does that sure. make sense?
1: Yeah, yeah, I think so. And there's, there's certain songs that um, speak about the we, speak about the church, right? So, right. That, that's a way of being congregational as well. Is, and even to be singing to one another. We, we often encourage people in our church, let's encourage one another through this song. And that's hard to do, you know. Sometimes you look around at other people and try to encourage them, but somehow the, the corporate singing, when everybody's singing along together, that is an encouragement for the the church.
0: Yeah, and yeah, and another another thought too is, uh, I guess the um, the idea that some of the some of the older hymns for some younger people, if they were to show up in a church, let's say a young person gets saved and they come in and mm-hmm. they, you know, they're they're all looking at the hymn book and they don't know how to read music and it's really they don't know the songs they never heard them so they're having mm-hmm. a very hard time learning it so but they go to a, some they go to some rock show somewhere and they they're singing at the top of their lungs cuz they know the music so there's something certainly about being taught and growing in it um as
1: well and i think that's
0: the, the responsibility of every worship pastor to really teach his church how to sing and and all of that um
1: yeah. Yeah. And you'd be able to speak to that better than I would as you're a musician. I'm most definitely not. But I do but, think... And well, I I'm mean,
0: I was going to say, but though, you know, the reality is, is that it's folks who aren't musical who are going to help those who are musical not be too musical. <laughs> sure.
1: <laughs> yeah. I agree. I think one of the benefits of the hymns is there's great consistency. You sing verse one and verse two and verse three and verse four, and there's no change. You're just singing different words, but with the exact same melody. Uh, with the uh, so many of the worship songs, there's the, the bridge, one added little bit. There's sometimes a chorus. There can be, you can go in different directions musically. So yeah. it seems that there's, uh, again, I, I want someone to write a little bit more about this or to think a little bit more about this. And maybe it's already out there, but really what makes a song easy to sing? Yeah. Well,
0: um, as we go out here, what would be some like one big encouragement to those um, who are wrestling with some of these things, especially the technology stuff? Um, how do how do they how, how do they how do they respond to the grace of God?
1: Sure. Well, I think technology, no matter where you're using it, um, no matter what the application, with if you're a musician, if you're a writer, whatever it is it's it's usually going to promise something it can't deliver. Technology is very closely related to our idols, right? It enhances the power of our idols in our life. So if you want to be popular, if that's really what drives you, then you'll just use technology as a means of furthering that idol in your life. But as Christians, we're able to think well about these things and able to to understand that technology itself, there's no technology that's good or evil. My iPhone isn't good. It isn't bad. It just is. I can use it for good purposes. I can use it for evil purposes. So, just as Christians, to be realizing that connection between technology, idolatry, and saying, I'm not going to allow this to further my idols. I'm going to use it to put those idols to death and to pursue the Lord. We can do that with anything, any technology, from the printed book all the way up to the iPad.
0: That's awesome. And folks can find you at challies.com, right?
1: They sure can, yeah. It's the best place.
0: And are you on Twitter?
1: I am on Twitter, at chally's Facebook, facebook.com slash Chalice. Once you got a last name like Chalice, you can pretty much be the first one in, and there's not gonna, it's not like a Smith or something like that. You, right. you pretty much get your pick.
0: <laughs> well, thank you again for um, for listening to the Lord, for, for digging deep in His Word, and for, for really being a voice for, for many in these very uncertain times. There's a lot going on, and we need discernment, and we... We need more blogs like yours, more books like yours, so I appreciate you being willing to serve Jesus in this way. Thank you.
1: All right. You're very welcome. Thanks for having me on your show.
0: So, I want to highlight um, a couple of things before I um, leave us here. Um, You know, there were... A lot of awesome things mentioned in that in the interview but um, the, the thought of doing something on a daily basis I wanted to just quickly highlight that for those of us who are songwriters and musicians um, what do you uh, do every day what is it what are the things that you do on a daily basis that are tied to that um, for many of us we don't have that um, that's something that I've really tried to um, seek God about and to get grace to do um, and and also, you know, the, the one thing of lowering the expectations, I think I, I might have said something along those lines of, you know, th- there's this idea out there that whatever we put out, whatever we create has to be amazingly perfect and finished and, and ready. And, um, you know, we obviously still want to honor the Lord and do our best by his grace and to, to do um, nothing sloppy, but, but there is something freeing about just realizing that there's never going to be anything perfect. We are obviously imperfect people. And um, there will always be someone who thinks that you could have done something better. But there's something about that freedom of lowering the, the expectations and just doing it and stepping out and, and writing something every day. Not that you have to share that with the world on a blog or a website, but um, just that discipline. And you will grow. As Tim said, whatever you do every day, you're going to grow in. And obviously, the, 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 um, the thing that, that we really need to make sure that we do every day is to seek God in his word every day and to um, really value that time of of spending time in God's presence and praying and uh, meditating on the Word of God. And the more you do that, the more you're going to reflect God. That's just how it is. That's how it works. The What we spend time doing, what we spend time um, listening to, who we spend time with, we tend to start reflecting that. And um, that's part of our, our um, being created in the image of God is is we are created to reflect, and and that's what sin is, is we reflect everything else but God. And as we seek God, as we spend time with Jesus, as we feast on all that he is for us in the gospel, then we will reflect him more and rightly. And uh, that is definitely a non-optional everyday thing. I'm I'm learning that as I get older. It's just you can't go without spending time with the Lord or you're just going to gravitate towards sin. What's the old saying? Be killing sin or sin will be killing you. I believe it was John Owen who said that. But anyway, um, and also technology. You know, what are the things every day with your technology, uh, with your iPhone, with your Twitter, with whatever it might be, um, can you give those things up on a daily basis? Why Why would you have to be on your Twitter account every day? And I'm talking to myself right there. <laughs> but um, yeah, so, and then also just another question. This is not related to the everyday thing, but but for us songwriters, just to be thinking more deeply about what makes a song easy to sing? He said that near the end there. Um, if we could be asking that question and thinking about that, especially those of us who are um, leading worship in churches where you have so many different kinds of people coming together. You know, you have you have country music fans. You have rap music fans. You have um, <laughs> southern gospel fans and rock and roll fans and, and people who listen to only classical music. You have such a variety of folks coming, and that's actually the beauty of... The church is the diversity of the people in it, um, because it's the gospel that that is what we are um, connected by, you know. And so, you know, as you do that, obviously, you can't write um, music that will um, serve and make every single one of those preferences um, happy, and you won't meet those preferential needs that they all have. It's it's more about serving the the whole church, the whole body, and making something that everyone can sing. Um, to God with so, what makes it easy? What makes a song do that? It's it, obviously this is not super black and white, um, as we talked about in the podcast just now. The um, the Sojourn Church example, um, they have done a great job sounding like their community, and um, of course, their music and their songs have gone around the world. And those churches who are are doing them, um, they they make it work for their churches, but. Um, but Sojourn Community Church in Louisville is doing a particular thing. And so what is God doing in your in your particular church, your particular local body and in your town and um, what makes that song easy to sing um, for those people? Anyway, just a good question to, to get some discussion rolling. If you head over to the episode notes for today, that's christianmusicblog.com slash session 34. Uh, I would love to hear your thoughts in the comments section. All right, guys that's it for today's episode all the notes again can be found christianmusicblog.com forward slash session 34 as I just mentioned I'll have some direct links to some of the things that we talked about Tim's blog and the books that he's written also I'll include the link to the upcoming Curtis Allen book Um, I mentioned it called Does God Listen to Rap? interesting title and it's going to be a very intriguing um, book so that's coming this month over at cruciform press and I'll include the link to that book um, in our show notes today so that's Again, christianmusicblog.com forward slash session 34. Again, thanks for listening to the podcast. I want to remind you to head over to christianmusicblog.com slash gift, where you'll get two gifts and an opportunity to sign up for our weekly newsletter. That's more than just an impersonal newsletter. I want to personally meet you and interact with you about music and music making through eyes of faith. So again, to find out more about that, simply sign up at christianmusicblog.com forward slash gift. All right, we'll see you next week. Have a good
1: one. Thank you for listening to the CMB podcast. For more valuable content, including helpful articles and video, visit christianmusicblog.com.